well. Let's get into the new commandment that we see here in 1 John. If you take your Bibles, meet me over there. After this morning, you know, this morning was one of those messages where if there were people that had a problem with the ministry, that was probably the last thing. You know, they're like, well, you know, I've really heard it now and I'm going to leave. And I'm, I'm glad we don't have many people like that. I think we, we don't have any at all, thank the Lord. But uh, that, that message this morning is a very important thing to remember because, you know, I, I do not think the devil is uh, omnipresent, okay? I don't think he's everywhere at once, nor is he omniscient. I think he's working right now on the Antichrist. He's working on setting up that new world order, you know, which is crazy. When you see stuff like Amazon trying to work on palm readers to buy groceries, folks, do we really think that that's the extent of that feature, uh, that you need to scan your hand? I mean, if people are not paying attention, now is the time to start paying attention. I mean, these things are happening. RFID chips being in, uh, implanted in people for the the uh, idea of tracking, the new iPhone that came out. This is crazy, okay? I used to follow that stuff religiously when I was really big into tech. Uh, but one of the features that they have now is you can be connected to a satellite in an emergency situation without a cell signal. What does that tell you? They can track that phone even when you turn the data off. All that is there. I had somebody tell me a long time ago, don't plug your phone in at the airport. You use the USBs at the airport, that's connected to something. There's power somewhere there, and there can be accessed information. But the way that feature works is, literally, I, I kid you not, if you have battery on your phone, you can sign up for this service. It's free for the first two years. Apple's uh, calling it, by the way, the word is called connectivity, right? You know, when we connect to something, they call it connectivity. Just like, you know, aluminum, and then you have aluminum. That's Apple for you, right? You know, it's not really... That's how, that's how you pronounce it. It's a brand new thing. But anyway, they call this emergency connectivity. And what it is, is you take your phone. I'll, I've got my iPad up here, right? And there's a chip in here that you can point it in a direction to a satellite that is above you, okay? And it will find the satellite. You'll have a little image on here. That's called a user interface that shows you a little circle that represents you and a little radar thing. And then there's a satellite that's moving back and forth as you're trying to pair it up with this line. And over time, you can hold it and it'll grab your signal, and it'll be able to take that signal and get it somewhere to somebody who's in emergency SOS, and they can help you. It's helpful, but it also kind of peels back the layers of how much control we're giving to people who are not involved in our lives. Oh, well, now all you have to do is just bring your palm, and you can buy your groceries that way. They were uh, testing a, a store out in Washington. It was a Whole Foods brand. And they went to Whole Foods, and, and they said, you can walk in using your phone, and it will tag your movement throughout the store. So you walk in, you have your Amazon account, you sign in, you scan it, and it now tracks your movement throughout the store. And all the products that you pick up and put into your cart, you can walk out of the store without paying for them at a cash register, and it'll just charge your phone because it knows where you went how much time you spent in front of that product, and it can tell whether you picked up the product or not with a barcode um, scanner, and you walk out of the store, and they know exactly what you bought. Uh, yeah, the Bible's not true, man. It's all just made up. No, the implementation for the mark of the beast is happening. Okay, that, I think that technology is probably already here. We just haven't seen it made mainstream, okay? So I think the devil's working on stuff like that. But, but you'd be kidding yourself 
if you think that there's not demonic presence here tonight, there's demonic presence in your car when you're going home. There, the, the more that this ministry tries to grow, which involves your growth, like we talked about this morning, it's not just, oh, Jesse's doing so good and, and he's lifting the whole church. No, as you respond, so will the work of the Holy Spirit also increase. As we continue to do that, there's going to be more and more attacks from within. It's going to start here. I had a board meeting today where I told our elders, we have to recognize the attacks are going to start on us as leaders of the church. You get involved in ministries. I, I, many of you that are here tonight want to join the church, and that's a good thing. But as you continue to serve the Lord with your time and with your talents in serving with ministry, there's going to be things that come your way that are going to be taxing on your mind. It's going to stress you out. There'll be difficult things that seem like, oh, it's, you know, and, and the first thing that comes is time management. All of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, I don't have a lot of time. You know, time is the greatest currency that we have. I believe that. When we're talking about discipleship, how much time do you spend with a person? Okay, if you're just giving them a packet, fill this out, do the eight-week program, and you've been discipled. You don't love that person. The way you show love to a person is you spend your time with them. You take them along, right? You're going out to go do something, you call. I do this with, uh, when we were working with kids. Hey, I'm going to go to the post office, and then i got to run and get some stuff printed and all this other stuff. Do you want to come with me? And I'd check with their parents, see if that's okay, and then I'd take a young man with me. And we'd go to the post office, and we'd go get lunch, and then we'd go do other errands. But they're seeing ministry. They're seeing how things work. And you're, having quest you're, you're asking questions and giving answers throughout that process. That's a part of discipleship. Sadly, discipleship is now, it's a course. Oh, sign up for this course, and you'll get a certificate that says, I've been discipled. But you never met your teacher. They've never talked to you. You've heard them talk to you, but you've never had the opportunity to talk with them. And sadly, things are just going that way, and people are hanging their degrees on their wall, and they're saying, oh, I'm such a good Christian because X, Y, and Z. Those things are not how it works. But when we're talking about spiritual wickedness in high places, it's going to start with you, and it's going to start, the attack is going to start on your time. And as there's more stress on your time, you're going to be faced with decisions that you have to make. When I was up there at Northside, I was talking with a young man, his name is Kevin. And, you know, Kevin uh, got saved at Northside under Freddie Coyle's ministry, and he's a young man. And, you know, as a young man, you start, you get a car, now you, the whole world is unlocked to you. If you really wanted to, if you didn't have a job, you could travel across the country and see all these wonderful things. You know, but then you got to realize you got to put gas in that car. And gas, as far as I know, still costs money, right? <laughs> uh, you got to have insurance. In many states, it's illegal if you don't carry it, this state being one of them. Uh, so you realize, okay, in order for me to have those freedoms, I've got to work for those freedoms. And he's falling into that pattern that we all did when we were his age in our 20s, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And he said, he's like, I just, I, I just want to continue to serve the Lord, but there's a lot of things on my time. Now, I could have taken the, oh, I've been there approach and say, boy, you have no idea what's on your time. Wait till you see what's coming. But instead, I commended him for recognizing the pull on his time. And I told him, I said, right now it feels heavy, but you fast forward in 10 years, you're going to have way more and be able to handle way more time uh, demanding tasks than you are right now. So here's what the smart thing is to do, Kevin. 
when the doors are open to the church, you tell yourself, I'm going to be there. Before you have a relationship, before you get a promotion at your job, before you maybe uh, are required to commute more, make the commitment to be involved in your church. Because what happens is, as those other things come up, which will now demand your time, you've already set aside things for the Lord as predominant. So it's easier to choose the Lord than it is to choose the new shiny opportunity. I would tell this with ranch kids. Ranch kids start turning 15, 16 years old. Guess what? They get jobs. The hardest thing for me with those kids was to get them to come to church. It never worked. I believe because their parents didn't care about it. So why would they care about it? And ranch on Thursday night is a lot more fun than what we're doing right now in the mind of a kid. (laughs) There's no pizza here. There's no ping pong table here. There is a bounce house back there now, which the kids love. I told you that. But I would tell those, you know, they say, you know, I, I'm, I got a job, so I'm just not sure if I can do ranch anymore. And I would always say, it's like, you know, you can go before you start working that shift and tell your boss that there are days that you need off. And if they need you enough, they're going to make that work. I, I remember that personally. I got a job down here at TJ Maxx, and I had to have certain days off because I was in the jazz band at school, and we were traveling at the time. So I couldn't work those days because I couldn't fulfill the obligation that I previously had. You know how many kids took me up on that and set aside Thursday nights? You know how long it was before they were gone? Just about a month. I, st- I still have not seen many of those kids. Now, it's not to say, oh, they, they're so bad, you know, but they just succumbed to the pressures of the world. And that's when they're 15 and 16 years old. Many of you are already established in your lives, and you have a routine, and there are things that are, we don't mess with that. We don't mess with that. Is church one of those things? These are things that we have to ask ourselves. If we want to grow, then we want to minister, and that requires being here. That was one of the hardest things with COVID, I'll tell you that right now, was being here on a Sunday night, preaching to nobody but a camera. There are still people that use that instead of being here. I think that's a net detriment to them. We're talking about time management. We're talking about how the devil works. How does that apply to what we're talking about with the new commandment? Because there's a question mark up there because it's not really new. It's not anything that's changed. It's just we've moved away from what God said works. So let's just, for the sake of review, we need to look at a couple of verses, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but look there in 1 John Chapter 2, this is on page 1322 in the church Bible. It's my intent to get through verses 7 through 14 tonight, but we need to just do a little review with verses 3 through 6, because it's been a couple of weeks. And hereby do we know that we know him. And we re- remember, this is not talking about depart from me, I never knew you type of no. This is to have fellowship with him. This is to be in the inner circle. You know that Jesus had favorites? When it comes to the disciples, he did. I don't think favoritism is a bad thing. Now, not the preferential where you exclude others, like discrimination is different, but there were three that were closer to Jesus. And he saw that and he used it. So when we're talking about how we're known of him, do you want to be a part of the group that's like, these people right here, these people want to get, they want to get busy, they want to get things done for me. Or do you just want to be like, yes, that's part of my family, 
but we're not real close. I want to be in that inner circle, and I think you do too. So when it says in verse 3, and hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him intimately in this, in this close way, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. All right, well, you're saying one thing and you're doing another. Boy, you ever heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? There's a lot of Christians that are saying, look at me, look at me, and you look at them and it's like, ugh, that's not doing what the Lord said. <laughs> I laugh because I, this is just so common in many churches where it's just a lot of talking. Well, well look at me, well, look at... But then no one's willing to do anything. A lost person comes in and it takes forever to someone to reach them with the gospel. No one's willing. Oh, we need help in Sunday school. I got bingo that night. You know, I can't do that. Oh, but I'm good. I love everybody. You see how James 2 is now put in proper context? Be ye warmed and filled. You leave them outside cold and hungry. <laughs> yeah, you said the right thing, but you didn't do it. Your faith is profitless to that person. So John sets the standard there in verse 4. I know him and keepeth not his commandments. You're a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, which we have to tie that back to verse 3 with his commandments. In him verily is the love of God perfected. You become more mature. Hereby know we that we are in him. And you can tie this back in, which is what we did a couple of weeks ago to John 15 how we grow, and he's going to prune us as we continue to grow, so we grow back stronger. We uh, ended here on verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So the person who says that they are Christ-like should be able to, upon examination, look and do the things that Christ did. This is why the Proverbs talks a lot about the man that is slow to speak. I'm always on edge when I hear somebody talk highly about themselves. It's just a red flag to me. And so far, out of all the situations that has happened, they are lying about what they really do. And I, I know that that's going to happen because the first thing they want me to know is, look at me. Look how good I am. That's not Christ-like. It's, it's not. There are two people in Scripture that are described as meek, which is to understand strength held in reserve. I think it's funny when you hear, you hear this in the fighting community and boxing and, and uh, UFC fighting. Oh, this guy, he's, he's too meek. He's meek and weak. They don't even understand the definition of meek. It's funny to me. It's, it's comical because they're trying to use it as a detrimental thing, but meek is strength held in reserve. You think about a horse. That's a meek animal. You ever seen a horse? I know all of you have. And many of you who know me, well, you know that I don't mess with those things. Okay? <laughs> I know I'm going to be riding in one, or uh, on one with the Lord, but look, that's going to be without a sin nature. And that horse isn't going to have anything wrong with it either. <laughs> a couple of years ago, well, now it was like 10 years ago, I think, we were on a family vacation, and a part of what we did was horse riding, horseback riding. Everybody's waiting for me because I'm reading all 12 of the terms and conditions to see how could this thing kill me and how am I signing away my liability if and when it does. And that all stems from I went to the Jewish Community Center and I was a camper there and then I became a counselor. When I was a counselor, there was this kid who just had a problem with obedience that got behind the horse 
and it, it, uh, the horse broke his arm. I remember hearing it crack and everything, and I thought, <laughs> no more. But you know that horse has very little fat on it. You look at those legs, its chest, its, 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 its hind legs. I mean, it's all carved. It's, it's all muscle. That thing, if it wanted to, could destroy the rider on it easily. It holds it in reserve. It submits its power for the benefit of the rider. That's meekness. People should not hear you. They should see you. It's not how much you say and how loud you say it. It's what you say when you say it. Isn't it interesting that James tells us that uh, the man that is slow to speak works the righteousness of God, but the quickness of man is something that is a, a, a detriment to him? And how, how quick it is right now, even in our political world, everybody's got an answer for something, right? You turn on Fox News, and they're going to tell you, oh, DeFi is the way, right? We're going to definance everything, crypto is the way, and all this stuff. And, and guess how that turned out? <laughs> but they're willing to have anybody and everybody on there just to, they want to say stuff all the time. And the same thing on the other side of the aisle. Politicians now, the, you're just looking for what they say. More often than not, I'm trying to read what these politicians have written. And you know what? When you go to their website, you don't find a lot. Hmm. I wonder why. Because they're just kind of spouting the party line to get your vote. And there's a lot of pastors and teachers that are doing the same thing. They got a nice studio, they got a good, a, a good looking host, and they got a lot of views and comments. It must be good. You have to run what they say through the filter of God's Word. You know what that's going to require? Time, patience, and dedication. You can't just believe somebody because they say, oh, believe me. You remember what Jesus says? There's going to be many people in the last time to say, behold, Christ is here. Christ is there. I am Christ. He's, and what did he say? You're going to know by the things that you see who Christ is. But there's a lot of talking. A lot of talking. My grandma used to have a phrase for that. It was called jaw jacking. <laughs> there's a lot of that. Boy, I wish my grandmother was alive because she was the life of the party, okay? I, I say all the time, my grandmother and my mother-in-law would have been thick as thieves. And I don't know if that was in a good way or not. <laughs> but uh, my grandmother was just fiery. The first time she came here, she, she said, mm-mm, mm-mm. I was like, my uncle's like, what? Mm-mm. The pews don't have paddings on the back. It's like, I can't sit through a whole message. And then Hank would sing all of the, the, the lyrics to the hymn. She's like, mm-mm, first and the last, that's for me. <laughs> you know? You know, she was raised Baptist. But I think about that phrase that my grandmother said with jawjacking, and I think that's just a lot of people. It's just, they're talking a lot, but they're not really saying anything. So when they say, oh, I've got fellowship with the Lord, I'm good, I'm, I'm in the real close circle here, but they don't do the things that would show that that is true, the Bible says that we can accurately call them, they're liars. And listen, that, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, that if we need to rebuke them sharply, we say, hey, you're lying. It would be like if we don't correct our children when they're caught in a lie. Oh, well, that's just their truth. Mm. And that's how we want to raise them? With their truth? We're seeing that happen right now with kids choosing what gender they are. It's sick that parents are so, they're, they're so disposed to their kids' every whim that they're willing to put them through the same kind of hormone treatment that is used to chemically, 
castrate sex offenders. They want to put it on their kids because their kid picked up a doll or picked up a monster truck. Being in the adoption world, seeing this type of stuff, it's, it's crazy. You know, my wife and I can't have kids of our own. You just see what's happening with people that can have kids of their own. It's, it's crazy. But the point I'm making there is some, we, we need to be willing to sharply rebuke the brother that says they're doing one thing, but in action is doing something different. The Bible does it. Now, we don't do it lightly, but there are times when it needs to be done, and that's church discipline. Hey, you're in the wrong. I love you, and I want to get this right, but you need to know this is wrong. Well, we don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, you can say it in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings. That's how you choose to do it. But we don't sacrifice the truth for someone else's comfort because that doesn't lead to success. All right, now let's get into the main passage here in verse 7. So we, that's the, the vein of what we're talking about, right? Having that close fellowship. So this is what John says. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contend here that this phrase, from the beginning, is from John chapter 13. We don't, uh, and we, we are short on time, so let me just read this to you. I typed it out in my notes. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, loving one another shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye love one to another. This whole Christian life from salvation to the rapture to your death is built and sustained and motivated through one thing, L-O-V-E, love. Tough, soft, whatever it is, we've got to love one another. This is the danger of internet churches today. There's no love. There's all correction. It's all authoritative. Remember how I talked about those four stages of a ministry? A man of movement, a machine, and then a monument? How does it get from something that's productive to something that we remember because it's dead? We don't love. We don't love. And if we do love, we love numero uno, ourselves. This is how you can do all the things. You can check all the boxes, right? Oh, I'm a soul winner. Oh, I'm, I'm attentive in church. Oh, I, I, you know, I'm here when the doors are open. But you don't, you don't love the person next to you. This is how you're going to fizzle out. It won't work if we don't love one another. Those are not my words. That's what Jesus says. The whole world is going to know us by how we love one each other. Not necessarily the world, but how do we treat one another? You study the Mayan culture. I think it's so funny how, well, in a dark way, I think it's funny how, you know, the Mayan culture, oh, wow, the, the technology, the advancements, these, these major pyramids and these buildings with all these long steps. Do you know what ran down those steps? The blood of disabled children in a sacrifice so that the sun would come up the next day. That's how they treated one another. A kid was born with a disability. They would slay the child, and it would probably be multiple children, <laughs> collect the blood, 
bury the bones of the children. You can find this mass child graves in the Mayan culture. And then they would pour the blood down the steps in order to appease the sun god to come up the next day. That's not loving one another. <laughs> in cultures that are unreached, and what I mean by that is they don't have a written language in and of themselves. New Tribes Missions, uh, now Ethnos 360, has dealt with this. It's amazing. Inst instead of conflict, uh, conflict resolution, they murder the other tribe. Somebody kills uh, tribe A, kills tribe B guy, tribe B guy takes the bones of the guy that was killed, grounds it up, mixes it and mashes it with bananas and water and other sweet things, drinks that, and then goes over to tribe A and kills somebody over there. And that's how it's resolved. That's not loving one another. This is why the Ten Commandments is monumental. You know how you keep the Ten Commandments? You love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the one thing we cannot do. We cannot do it because the love of somebody else requires you to lay down your life for the thing that separates them from God. And that's why what Jesus did fulfilled the law. I couldn't do that. I, even if I wanted to lay down my life for my wife, I could not pay for her sin. It could not happen because I have sin of my own. But Jesus, praise God, was willing to obey the Father and demonstrate how he loved the Father by loving us and taking your sin and putting it upon himself. And he paid it, folks, and the payment, the check, cleared. All right? And we should be able to imitate that. Not that we go and lay our lives down for other people, but it's, it's the hardest thing to get church people to cooperate with one another. And so why is that the hardest thing? Because that's the commandment that was told in order for you to grow. And you can't have babies do adult things. <laughs> They're babies. Do we give steak to babies? Not if you're a good parent. Sure, they could gnaw on it, but even if they could ingest it, their stomachs are not ready to, to process that. As they what? Grow up. They have the deeper, more complex foods. Same thing here. And what Jesus says there very clearly, just to read it to you again, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. The rest of the New Testament echoes this, and we're going to do some page turning, all right? So hold your place and look in Romans chapter 13. By the way, this is how I constantly check myself. What's my gut reaction about an individual or about a problem? If I'm angry... If I'm bitter, I know that I have to do work. That something needs to change because that's not how the Lord views them. Now, people take this to the extreme and they say, well, you know, you're going to love people so you want to make them comfortable. That's not love, okay? You can make somebody comfortable and be abusing them. That's very clear. We see that with a lot of these, uh, sadly, with a lot of school shooters, they're, they're in lives where they kind of got whatever they wanted and they had access to whatever they wanted. And, you know, the next thing they know, they're getting into demonic things and they go shoot up a school, which is terrible. It's terrible. Comfort does not always equal love. As a matter of fact, discomfort leads to growth and contentment with what is right. And that requires somebody to say something about what an individual is doing. 
Look in uh, Revel, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 13, we're on page 1207. We're going to look at verses 8 through 14 there. Owe no man anything but to love one another. You want to be in debt to somebody? Have a debt of love. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended, understood in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of our sleep. You know, how I think it's so funny how everybody says, oh man, I'm woke. I'm so woke. Uh, I don't want to be that kind of woke. I want to be this kind of woke. I want to be awake out of this sleep to realize that people's salvation is near and I have a part to play in that. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Please remember that phrase when we go back to 1 John 2. The works of darkness, cast them off and let us put on the armor of light. Remember that imagery? Light and darkness. God is all light in him is no darkness. When you have the, the, the works of darkness on you, it's the sin that you've got that you're not getting out of. You're not confessing to the Lord. You're not you know, coming to an agreement and forsaking that sin for the sake of better fellowship. And instead of putting on the armor of light, you're mired in darkness. Look at the difference here. Works and armor. Works, I mean, people can see that. Armor is something that you wear to protect yourself. Let us walk honestly. I love that phrase. Let us walk honestly. As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. By the way, chambering and wantonness, that's all sexual stuff right there. Not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Boy, that's, a, that, that's what you call right there a power shot. <laughs> Wasn't that a lot to process? You know what I love about that? It's, really, it's verse 13. 13 and 14. I want to walk honestly. No, I'm not hiding anything. Don't you want to do the same? You can do that. And you can know him and be known of him in the way of intimate fellowship. He's already given you everything you ever need in your eternal life. Why would we want to forsake that for, ah, this, I like that sin, you know? I like, you know, it's, it's like the gambler. I can't help it. I can always win one more, win one more. But guess what? They end up losing it all. The house always wins. Let Romans go and go to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 and verse 9. So Paul wrote what we just read there in Romans. He also wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God. Who did the teaching? God did. I believe that's through Jesus Christ. What does he say? Taught of God to love one another. What about Peter? You know, because people like to say, well, Peter and John, they had a different gospel. Uh, let's put it to the test. Did Peter and, and uh, Paul have a different message on love one another? Let's see, 1 Peter 1. 
Let's go there. 1 Peter chapter 1. I told you we'd be moving a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He's talking about the wonderful, precious blood of Christ and how Christ was foreordained, raised up from the dead. We got verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now this is not purifying your souls unto eternal life. This is in Christian maturity. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth to the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. This command has not been rescinded. Okay? Jesus has not said, well, we're in dark political times, so you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Hate the other person. That's the one thing I have wrong with politics. That's that the one thing that I do not like about politics right now. It teaches people to divide themselves from one another. I turned off the news probably three years ago. I read all of my news now. I have little alerts and apps that send me updates of things that happen, relevant, you know, breaking news and things like that. But I do not sit there and allow somebody to teach me how I should look at somebody else. I, if I'm going to sit in front of anything, it's going to be this word right here. I'm going to see what this says and do that. And so far, I don't see any revisions. I'm supposed to love those who I disagree with. And that is hard to do. I will be directly honest with you. That is hard to do because they hate us. The world hates you. And you know, well, hate is a strong word. Yeah, it is, and it actually describes how the world looks at us. Jesus said it. They hated me. What do you think they're going to do to you? But you know what is going to be unique about our response? We're going to love them. Think of all the believers in the tribulation period that will lose their lives for their identification with Jesus Christ. Is it, wouldn't it be interesting if in the loss of life of a believer, it leads to an unbeliever's salvation? Now listen to this. It's exactly what happened with Paul. You remember what Paul was doing when he was Saul? Holding the coats for the men that were going to stone Stephen. And Paul was going to give the letter to persecute more churches. And the Lord got a hold of him. Can you imagine if Stephen came with, well, like if he was Rambo? <laughs> Just going to blow up the whole thing. No, he got to actually see the Lord stand for him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen said exactly what the Lord had said, and he died. He was stoned to death. And Saul was there, and he saw this. I don't know what it did to him, but it's so unique. So unique, the responsibility that we have. You know, Hollywood today wants to sell you the vengeance story, right? Right? They want to sell you the story of, oh, this man had everything taken from him and now he's just going to go on this, this blood-soaked revenge tour. And you, and you and I love it. You know why we love it? Because it's exactly what we want. It's what our flesh says to do. But the Lord says, you love your enemies. You know, some people say there in, in Romans where it says, heaping coals upon their head. It's like, yeah, kill them with kindness. You know, that's actually not what that means. Surprise, surprise. What does it mean? 
Well, in that time, in order to warm other people, they would put hot coals in bags, in pots, above their head at their bed to warm them from head to toe. So when it says heaping coals upon your enemy, it doesn't mean that you're trying to kill them with kindness. You're trying to meet their need. Wow. You know, the only, pers- the only people that Jesus spoke sharply to were the ones that had the responsibility with his word and mishandled it. He didn't flip tables over the woman caught in adultery or the rich young ruler or the Roman centurion. He was actually loving towards them, so much so that it characterized his ministry. This man eats with the publicans and the sinners. We ought not do that. We're Pharisees. Mm. When Jesus says you should not pray out loud in a space where all can hear you, but go to your closet privately, do you know who he was calling out? The Pharisees who would walk the city and do that. If you're not paying attention, you're going to miss this stuff. And you're going to put scars upon your body. You got bitterness in your heart towards your enemy? You need to have a one-on-one discussion with the Lord about that. He can help you overcome that because he did. He demonstrated the path for us. Do not be overcome by that bitterness. It will happen. Hebrews tells us that. The, the, The root of bitterness will spring up and defile many. It's not just you that drinks that poison. It's your spouse, it's your kids, it's your small group, it's your co-workers. One of the things I despised about where I worked was the gossip. Just all the time, about everything. Did you see what they brought for lunch? Did you see what they wore today? Did you see what their scores were? It's like everybody, and then that person comes down, they're like, oh, good job. Your lunch smelled so good. I liked your outfit the other day. Great job on your scores. And the next thing that happened, just all the time, the backbiting, nauseating. That's how people treat church. Oh, I wonder if the so-and-sos are going to be here today. Hmm, they didn't show up again. <laughs> I showed up. Like, what? Uh, I think we laugh, because most of us in here are not like that. But there are people like that, guys. And it's just, mm, we miss it. All right, let's wrap it up here. First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, let me, while you're going back to 1 John 2, let me read you this quote from uh, Ryrie. The life of Christ was one of self-sacrificing love, therefore the proof of imitating him is exhibited in love. Love is that which seeks the highest good in the one loved. And may I contend with you that the greatest thing we can do for another person is share the gospel? Because you can give them clothes, you can give them money, you can give them the things to take care of the physical body, but we all know that body is going to be back in the ground. How do we love one another in demonstrating the will of God? We get the gospel to them. Well, Jesse, I'm just not equipped for that. Listen, I understand. I understand that it's hard to talk to somebody, but there's a rack back there of tracks that does all that work for you. All I'm asking you to do is be willing to get that into somebody's hands. Be willing to have a conversation when that moment arises. That's the extreme of a lot of churches today. They're not going to do soul winning because we don't want to infringe on people. I'm going to infringe on people because <laughs> it's a matter of life and death. I'm not going to do it in a rude way, but I want to win these people to Christ. Well, I, I, I didn't want to make you feel bad. 
and they end up going to hell? Where's the logic in that? Finishing Ryrie's quote, love is not that which seeks the highest good in the one, or love is that which seeks the highest good in the one loved. And since the highest good is the will of God, love is doing the will of God. Well, how do I love the Lord? How do I love my neighbor? Do what God says to do. Isn't that nice and easy? Boy, I like that. It's not like trying to build a rocket to the moon. I just got to love people around me. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here. These, these next few verses, we're not going to get through everything. But uh, look what it says here in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. We have this new ability now to walk in the light as he is in the light. Verse 9, he that saith that he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Because you're saying one thing, you might even be doing one thing, but you've got hatred in your heart towards a brother. That's not a good thing. That causes your fellowship to have a break with the Lord. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. What does that mean? Remember that illustration with the light? Look up here. You remember that with the light post? Or uh, uh, with, with the, uh, the lamp? The lamp representing the light that comes from God's word, the new nature that we have. And as we hold it, we walk around and let it guide us in the right pathway. And there are people who, who have that light, but they put it to the side and they try to walk in the dimness of that light, but they like the darkness. Okay, you want to see what that says here? But he that... Uh, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. That's walking in the sphere of the light. And walketh, um, and he, uh, excuse me, his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Why? Because he can see the right thing to do. He's walking in unity with the Spirit. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness that darkness has blinded his eyes. I, I think it's amazing that we can actually see that. You know how long you spend, or the longer you spend in darkness and all of a sudden the light turns on and it's shocking to you? You can't process it because your pupils were so dilated to get in as much light as they could and now there's an absorbance of light. What happens to your eyes? Your pupils get real small <laughs> to protect any damage. That's the same thing. I think there's a lot of believers that are like, oh yeah, I'm walking in the light, everything's good, and then all of a sudden the truth is revealed, they're like, oh! They realize, I haven't been doing any of those things right at all. You can save yourself from doing that by walking in the light. Verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. It would be a disservice to try and explain that quickly. We're going to talk about that next week. Because la da, I'm out of time. <laughs> By the way, you can close your Bibles. I'll give the gospel illustration here in a moment. That conference I went to, boy, people did not care about the time. <laughs> there was one guy that went over 45 minutes over his time. And I just, I don't dig that. That's crazy. Anyway, 
I wanted to make sure we ended a little early to get back there, and we, we have a little bit of time to do that. But let me just encourage you. I know that I yell up here sometimes, and I, I get excited, but I'm only excited because the truth of what is found, I'm seeing it play out in my life, and I want you to see it. And that's the best that I can do, is prepare it here and then give it to you, and then I can only pray that you'll obey it. And you'll get the same excitement that I have. It's just a wonderful, wonderful blessing to serve the Lord. And it's so easy to do. But there's so many competing voices out there for your attention. And I don't want you to listen to a voice that's going to lead you into darkness. And then all of a sudden, you come here and you get the lights turned on. And you're like, oh, he's offensive. I'm not offensive. You've been desensitized to the truth. And I want you to walk in truth. I want you to do that. I believe it's a part of, it, it, it's a part of my joy as you walk with the Lord. And we can do this thing together. Wouldn't it be great to have a revival in this area? Folks, it can happen, and it can start right here. <laughs> it sure can. I love how there's many people who say there's something different about Calvary. We're, we're, we're applying what the Bible says to do. And I love it. And I want you to love it too. I can't do that for you, though. So I know you get animated up here, but it's just because I'm excited about the word. This hand to represent you and me, and my wallet to represent sin. Put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God loves us, but he hates our sin because it separates us from him. We've got to be absolutely perfect to get to heaven, but we all fall short. That's why we're called sinners. That word means to miss the mark. The wages of sin, what we deserve for this is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. There's no amount of good works that can save us there's no money in this wallet. There's an intent there because you can't pay off your sin with any good works. This is the animation of pff, a fly comes out. It's useless. You can't do anything to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ paid it for you. This hand is to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel message. His death, burial, and resurrection was a satisfactory payment for our sins. The moment that you put your faith in him, that you believe on him, that sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. His resurrection proves that it was paid by his shed blood as the sufficient atonement for sin. And you receive, this is the greatest gift ever, eternal life. And you don't even have to pay for shipping and handling. <laughs> and you have it forever. That's the gospel. That word gospel is a little archaic today. If I were to say it in today's term, that's the good news. And it is good news. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. If this made sense to you today about salvation, I, I, I pray that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm looking around and I know all of you. I'm thankful for it. For those of online, maybe this made sense to you for the first time, I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Let us love one another so that we can clearly be seen as disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Help us in the things that we struggle with. I know you're so patient with us and we continue to pray for patience. Bring us back here safely. Thank, for the, thank you for the Awana program going off well the, uh, tonight. And Lord, just continue uh, to give us opportunities. I pray that we would all be found faithful to take advantage of them as they arise. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.